Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Revelation chapter 5 from verse 1. It says, and I read, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of all the elders, stood the lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, today we declare, just like the angels declared, that you are worthy. You are worthy. And I pray that the revelation of your worthiness will motivate us to reach people for you, to reach more people for you, to tell the world this good news. Let us live your, our lives like you are worthy. Let's give you the honor that you deserve. Let's attribute to you the wisdom that you have. Because you are worthy. And so everything that the gospel demands is worth it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Now, the reason I read that text is simply this. You have to understand on one hand, and first and foremost, that the revelation of the crucified Son of God is the theological fabric that has birthed our understanding of salvation. And this is what I mean. He died for our sins, and so we are saved. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, you know, according to the riches of his grace. Now, there is nothing we won't give to have that good news. Because he died, our sins are blotted out. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said something similar. He says, we who were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. His blood has brought us nigh to God. He has reconciled us by his blood. He washed us off our sins with his own blood. And that's a powerful revelation. But beyond sanctification, there is a dominion aspect to this theology. 
And so, the Bible tells us in Revelations 5, John saw the Lamb in the midst of the seven um, of, of, of the seven eyes and the seven spirits of God and the four living creatures and every other being that was there. He saw the lamb slain. And he declared with the angels. He heard the angels declare, sing a song, a new song. And they said, worthy is the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So you see, the, the lamb that was slain brought us salvation, brought us redemption. But you see, the dominion and the coming kingdom is also hinged and connected to this same revelation. Because Jesus died, all things are under his foot. Not just spiritually, but also politically. You have to understand this. That eventually, because Jesus died, and because he has a name above all names... Now, all things must revolve around him. And listen, at the end of this age, this world will pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which he's going to reign. And we're going to reign with him. And that world is going to have a theocratic government. And by that, we mean the days of democracy and democratic gov governance will pass away. And we're going to have a theocracy. I mean, a system of government that is operated based on the wisdom of the word of God. That time is going to come. You see, growing up, a lot of people talk about Christians making heaven and all of that. And yes, there is a heaven. Any Christian who, every child of God who sleeps right now, sleep is a metaphor for dies. His spirit is going to go straight to heaven. But you have to understand that that's not the final destiny of man. The final destiny of man is this, that when this earth passes away, the Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new earth, we are going to reign in new bodies. And Christ would reign as king and judge. And we're going to look at every system in the world at that day. And everything will be in perfect alignment with the wisdom and the power of God. That's the final destiny of man. Why is it important we talk about it today? Because you see, the spirit that will be operational at that time is already in us. And so even if um, the dominion of Christ is not a political reality, it's just a spiritual reality right now, we must have a passion for that level of alignment. And see, every time we look at any system and we see anything done contrary to the wisdom of Christ, there should be that, that it, it must be responsive to us. We must respond to it. Respond to it. And yes, what we can do primarily now is to preach the gospel because the real kingdom, all right, is in people. The kingdom must enter people first before they enter the kingdom. This kingdom that is going to be birthed and this new world, all right, that we're going to have at the end of this age would be for people in whom the kingdom is already reigning. And so the good news is we don't have to wait for that to be a political reality. It can be a spiritual reality now. But every time we see a system that does not honor Christ, we should respond 
because of the spirit that we've, we've received. Every time we see a wrong image projected on the TV, all right, policies being passed into law that are inconsistent with the wisdom and the plan of God for mankind, we should react because of the spirit that we have received. And we must desire that kingdom. Like Jesus prayed when the disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he said, your kingdom come. Yeah, the kingdom has come spiritually, but it's going to come politically too. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must desire that level of consistency, not just spiritually, but politically. Because like I said, that's the final destiny of man. And it's very interesting that we saw a type of this in the nation Israel. The nation Israel, as we know it, started from one man. And this is so powerful. When we talk about global evangelism, this is a powerful picture to realize that um, this gospel that has spread through all the whole world started from one man. God separated Abram from his, from his kindred, from his nation. He said, go to a place that I will show you. All right. And gave him a spiritual promise. But in that promise, had um, there was... Um, an immediate political agenda, and, and I'm going to explain what I mean. The blessing of Abraham was spiritual. I've explained that several times. Was righteousness through faith. The fact that Abraham believed in God and he was declared righteous. He wasn't declared righteous because of how he acted, although he did his best to be as morally upright as possible. That's not what gave him um, a relationship with God. However, Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac had two kids, two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was eventually changed to Israel. And Israel is the father of the nation Israel as we have it today. And all I'm saying is this. One man's encounter with God birthed a nation. Birthed a nation. One man's encounter with God. So, as it pertains to spreading the message of the gospel and having, an, you know, just a, at least for now, we must embrace the, the possibility of spiritual convictions, you know, dominating our sphere of influence. Where you can have a, an entire community that honors God. It's a possibility that you must embrace. Because guess what? The Bible says that God does not desire that anyone will perish, but that all will come to the knowledge of the truth. So if that's God's desire, God's desire for all men, you must embrace it as a possibility. Do you know many people in evangelism, they have already anticipated that some people will reject. But if God will not does not desire that anybody perishes, but that all will come to the knowledge of the truth. It must be your desire too. A burning desire. And just the same way, something that started from a man and his personal devotion with God birthed an entire nation that was established. And in that nation, all right, all the systems of judgment was done based on the tenets 
of the law of God. We see in the physical present-day Israel a type of what is going to happen at the end. Although the true Israel of God is spiritual now, some people wonder, why is it that a lot of people in Israel um, are not following Jesus and all of that? We are the true Israel of God. The true Israel of God is based on, you know, having the Spirit of God residing in you and all of that. And I don't want to get into that. All I'm saying is this. To summarize all that I'm saying, first and foremost, first and foremost, you have to understand that a time is coming where Jesus will reign on the earth. Not this earth, a new earth, but he's going to reign. All right? And his message, his wisdom would prevail as far as government and policies are concerned. Number two, even if that time is still in the future, we must see that that's where it's, all that is happening is all headed. And that the spiritual dominion of Christ will soon become a political dominion. It must be something that we must desire, a prayer that we must have. When you see children killed, when you see war breaking out, when you see a pandemic break out, you should pray for the, the political reign of Christ. Because the Bible talks about that day. It says he will wipe away the tear from every eye. Can I tell you something? As far as we live in this current world, there's going to be a lot of trouble. There's going to be a lot of trouble. And though... We stand in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials and all of that. That's not our final destiny. We must await the new heaven and the new earth. And the Bible talks about that. And I'm just here to let us know that if indeed that's where all that is happening is leading, we should begin to desire that type of influence. The same way Abraham had the responsibility to pass his, his revelation of God to his children. And his children to their children's children. And literally, his encounter with God became the system of governance for an entire nation. We must desire that type of influence. When we're talking about global evangelism, we must understand that God's dream for mankind is the word of God. Being the system, you know, being the wisdom, the generally accepted wisdom for all. Being the system of justice and judgment. We must begin to desire it now. And even if, um, according to prophecy, it's not going to happen in this world, because everyone still has free will, we must begin to desire it. And when we see systems that are anti-Christ, we must respond. Because the spirit that we have received, all right, is designed to bring all things into alignment to the plan of God. And so when you see anything out of order, you should respond. Why are children of 13 exposed to the kind of movies they are exposed to? Some of the movies that are rated 18 should be rated 100. None of us is too young to watch some of those movies. Too old, none of us is old enough to watch some of those movies. 
So these are some of the things that we should. So is it possible? Is it possible, you know, that the word of God will grow mightily and prevail so much in Lagos that you look at every nook and cranny of Lagos and the word of God has prevailed there. That day is going to come. That day is going to come. All right. And we are not going to wait for that new world to see that. We're going to desire it because it's God's desire. And all that I'm saying is this. What Israel had the responsibility to do and to achieve politically, we have responsibility to achieve spiritually. And this is what I'm saying. So now, um, Israel at some point, we're the only nation in the world that had an encounter with the true God. And through Israel, the whole world was going to hear the message. That's how the message of the gospel got to us. And it's the same type of responsibility that we must have. Even though theirs was slightly different, God promised them lands. So they had the responsibility to go to places and literally take over. We have the responsibility to go into systems, go into structures, make disciples. All right, so... Israel was established in, 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 a, in a physical manner. They had lands. But we, what we are fighting for is mind share. For the word of God to prevail in the minds of people, in the hearts of men. That's what we are prevailing for. And that's what we are warring for. But in a sense, the ambition of Israel must be our ambition. The ambition of Abraham must be our ambition. So, you see... Um, Abraham, like um, the average father today, who wants to keep it simple, just have two kids and be okay. That was his desire. God took him in the cool of the night, said, look at the stars. As many as you can count, that's how many children I'm going to give to you. So listen, we must dream the dreams of God. We must see many sons in Christ. Many people in our generation coming to know the gospel and believe the gospel and herald the message of the gospel. It's, it's something that you must embrace in your heart. So at that time, Israel was to do away with idolatry even though it was popular in their generation. They didn't worship many gods. They worshipped just one God, Jehovah, even though that wasn't popular in their generation. And even though they misbehaved a lot of times, God was able to preserve that message. And the message kept getting clearer until it got to us. We have a similar responsibility. That's what I'm trying to let you know. That even if what we stand for is not the popular fashion of our day, we can stand for it with the whole of our hearts. We can insist on it. We can march on with it and we can prevail. Because if that's God's final dream, it must be our desire.
So just think about how Israel grew in popularity, grew in numbers, grew in strength, became established as a nation. And I think that that's how we must envisage the continuous growth of the church, the continuous influence, increase of influence of the church, and our ability to stand in the midst of, you know, all forms of worldviews everywhere. You know, stand, you know, it's just that Israel, of course, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. And so they struggled a lot, and, and of course, a lot of them did not believe. But when it all comes down to it, think about it. Every other nation had a king, but God was their king. God was their king. Can we embrace God's word even when it is out of fashion? We need to talk about that. We look at the moral decadence in our day. Same thing Israel was, past, was experiencing. You see, someone would ask a question, why would God drive out nations just so that Israel can take over? <laughs> and anybody who would ask that question does not really know those nations. I want to read something to you. I'm going to build a case from there. I'm going to make a very important point from this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. I should have told you ahead of time, this sermon is the type of sermon you might have to listen to twice to really get it, you know. But you're going to get it. This is all leading somewhere, and it's going to get clearer as I move on. Deuteronomy chapter 18, from verse 9. It says, when thou art come into the land which the Lord God gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through fire or that uses divination or that observes or, or observer of the times or enchanter or witch or a charmer or consulter with familiar spirit or wizard or necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So listen, it wasn't favoritism that made God choose Israel and drive out nations. No. Those nations did unspeakable things. And you know, I keep saying, I've said in several sermons that I'm going to do a, a whole um, teachings, teaching on this. It's just time. Alright. There was a pop popular idol, idol um, that was worshipped in that time called Molech. The names varied from time to time, but it was the same idol. It was a giant brass idol. Outstretched arms like this. And the people in those days, they 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 did what was called child sacrifice. So you bring your, a newborn baby. They will heat up that idol until it's so hot. And then put the baby on the palm of that idol. And the baby is going to burn to death. And as the baby cries, they will beat drums, you know, to, to drown, the, drown the cries of the baby. 
They did all kinds of terrible things. You know, like the Bible says here, they would make sons and daughters pass through fire. They did all kinds of terrible um, sacrifices and terrible acts. All kinds of sexual vices, sleeping with animals. It, it, it was a totally depraved country. I'm talking about the Canaanites and, and some other countries. All right. Look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. Leviticus. The book you've never read. I hope you have. Leviticus chapter 20, from verse 22 to 23. It says, Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell in spill you not out. And you shall not walk in the manner of the nations which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. So you have to understand, it wasn't as if God, out of favoritism, you know, just picked Israel and said, okay, I'm going to cast out innocent people. They were not innocent at all. I wish I had more time to go into the things that they were doing. And let me... Here is a popular atheist contradiction. Many times when you engage atheists, there are two out of many questions that you will ask. One popular one will be, if there's a God, why is there so much evil in the world? See children dying, women being raped. God did nothing about it. Another question that they will ask is, why did God annihilate an entire nation, or some nations entirely, just so that Israel could inhabit their land? And they don't even see the contradiction of both questions. So on one hand, they are wondering if there is a God. What's he doing about rape? What's he doing about children dying? What's he doing about all these things? And then the time in history where God actually did something about it, where the Canaanites were actually very terrible people doing all kinds of terrible things, killing innocent kids in the name of sacrifice, and God actually did something about it, they wonder what kind of God would do that. Let me tell you something. We live in a culture, all right, not even in a culture, it's not about, it's not a social construct. It's who we are. We crave justice. When you see people being cheated, I mean, it hurts you. When you see um, terrorism in the world, you want those people to be held accountable, and rightly so. When someone um, is robbed, you hope that the robbers get caught, and rightly so. You seek justice. And guess what? Thank God there is a judge of the universe that holds people accountable to their actions. You have to understand this. You know, there are some stories that you just read in passing. And you're wondering, you know, maybe you're so used to them, you don't realize the gravity. That um, um, Pharaoh in Egypt will wake up one day and decide to kill every male child under two. Do you know what it would have meant? What it would have looked like on the streets of Israel that, that season? Hearing cries from different houses. All the people who were killed were children under two. 
I can bet you, some people in that system, in that setting, will say, if there is a God, why did he allow this happen? And then much later, when we see God actually intervening to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, the same people will be like, why would God do that? And it almost seems like we have to make up our minds. Guess what? From the text we just read, God told the children of Israel, he says, it is because of these things that I'm driving out the inhabitants of the land from before you. And he warned them. He said, if you do the same thing, I will drive you out too. And that was proof that God was not showing favoritism. Guess what? The children of Israel did the same things and they were driven out also. They lost their land. When you read the story of Daniel, they were, in host, they, were, they were held hostage in Babylon. They had lost their land also. So in this, we see a God who is consistent in, you know, there's, there's a, let me just tell you this. There's, there's a powerful story. In the story of Joseph. Not, what am I saying? Not Joseph. Um, Joshua. So Joshua was out one day and he sees a mighty soldier. And he says, who are you for? Are you for us or against us? And he said, neither. The soldier was actually an angel and he said, neither. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. And he introduced himself as a soldier of the Lord. I'm here to do the bidding of God. And so if you find yourself aligned to God, then I'm on your side. And so we see God who had an agenda for all mankind walking through Israel to fulfill his agenda. And it wasn't favoritism. He held them accountable to the same laws as he did other nations. But the real question now is, how does that concern us? How does that concern us? The same way, when we see wrong things prevailing in our day, we should seek to influence it. We should seek to influence it. Guess what? God is not overturning nations. The Bible says he doesn't desire that any man perish, but all men come to the knowledge of the truth. All right. So he's not responding. Listen, God has not changed. At the end, everyone will still be held accountable for their actions. All right. But he has given everyone the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. But that doesn't mean that he has closed his eyes to all the wrong things that are happening. The wrong system of living, wrong ideologies, wrong policies. So what's his desire? As the Israel of God today, instead of taking over territories physically, he wants us to spread a message, an ideology. Let me say this to you. Um, I explained this in-depth in a sermon, I think, what's the name of that sermon? The governor, the Holy Spirit, the governor. All right, you can listen to that. And I explained how colonization works. All right, colonization works. How does colonization work? A people group go to another nation and they influence that nation 
with the ideologies of the mother nation such that the system where they are coming from becomes the prevalent system where they are. So, this is not a good example because colonization, of, of course, the way they went about it was wrong and all of that. And thank God that's out of the way. But as it pertains to influencing a system, that's, that's one of the best examples you can, um, you can come up with. All right. So, you can actually have a king ruling over another territory even though he's not there presently. What he has is a governor, a representative. And everything that that representative does in that place, he did. Everything he says in that place, he said. And through ideology, everyone becomes adapted to the system of the mother nation. That's what we're going to do with the gospel of Christ. He sent us to go into all the world and make disciples, make students. So I'm saying, it's something you must desire. As a young person in school, don't just say, oh, every Friday people go to the clubs. Oh, every now and then you will see people frolicking and doing all kinds of wrong things in the dark corners of the hostels. Oh, don't just accept it. He said to make disciples. The spirit that you have received is leading us on to a time where everything in heaven and earth will be aligned to the wisdom of God. And because you have that spirit now, you must desire that level of alignment now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for the future. Now are we the sons of God. So it might be your family. Maybe right now you're the only one who knows the gospel. Don't let it stop there. Can I tell you something? Everywhere you find yourself, you must seek influence. Seek influence. Influence people with the message of Christ. That's what I'm saying. Because it's the destiny of mankind. Can I tell you something? The lamb that was slain is worthy. He's worthy. So, not only must people receive that message, receiving that message would do something. It would change the way we live. So he's instituting a new way of life, a new governance. And very soon, everything will be aligned to the system of Christ. You have to understand it. And it must be something that will, would give you joy. He will wipe away the tear from every eye. Every corruption will end. That's good news. That's good news. I wish I had more time to talk about, you know, some questions that people had um, about the children of Israel and the promised land and all of that. I'm going to do more in-depth teachings, you know, because I've heard some people say, why would God say, go into those cities, annihilate everybody, 
kill young and old, men and women, and all of that. And let me just say this to you. It was a metaphor. I wish I had time. If I have time, I'm going to give you some references you can read when you get home. But it was a metaphor. It's just like two people fighting in a ring and you won. Um, and you want to explain your victory to someone else. And you say, I killed him. <laughs> it doesn't mean you actually killed him. It just meant your victory was so established, was so lavish, was so lavish that that young fellow didn't stand a chance at all. So I'm going to show, show you evidence, if I have time, where the Bible will say, and Joshua annihilated, you know, totally destroyed a total co a community. And then much later in the same book, the same Joshua is reminding the children of Israel about the law of God not to intermarry with these people with the same group. Question, if everyone was killed, there's no one for them to marry. But you know, that's not what happened. All right. So they went into battle with these hostile nations and they won. And those guys were actually driven out. If you read Deuteronomy 7, you understand that the original plan and instruction of God was for them to drive them out. But that, all of that is by the way. What I'm saying to you is this. We are not fighting anybody. We are not taking arms. If you see anybody doing such a thing, God did not send them. And they are not doing the bidding of God at all. But here is something that has not changed. Like the children of Israel moving in nomadic fashion through the wilderness, entering into lands and taking over territories. We are people on a mission. You must recognize you are on a mission. And whilst you are not fighting to take over lands, you are fighting for the wisdom of Christ to prevail in your city. Just like it did in Ephesus where the Bible says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It's a desire that you must have. And that's why I said, um, Israel of that day is a type of the destiny of the church in two ways. The same way Israel operated a theocratic government, we eventually are going to operate a theocratic government in the new world. And then secondly, the same way Israel moved to take over territories, we are moving to take over territories, not physically, but through the ideology of the gospel of Christ. It must be a fervent desire you must have. God said, ask of me. What, 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 what a request. I want, to, want, want us to read that text. It's, it's in Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2 verse 8. This was a prophecy of the Messiah. It says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Ask of me. I will give you nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth. So listen, oh, Batarapatas, the vision of the Messiah is an ambitious vision. Think of inheriting nations. 
think of the ends, the nooks and crannies of the earth taking, all right, not, I mean, overwhelmed by the popularity of the message of, the, of, of Christ. That's what we're talking about. That every place where Christ and his message is not honored, the message will be honored there. That's what we are saying. That's what we are saying. And you know, as Celebration Church, as a, as a local assembly that is barely eight years old, the Lord has helped us really much. He has helped us doing a great job in Lagos, doing a great work in Abuja, doing a great work in Port Harcourt now. And we have just started. So I'm letting you know, all right, if we are not a people on a mission, we will not please God. The work will not be done at the pace it should be done if we don't recognize that we're on a mission. If we don't recognize, all right, like the children of Israel, so we, 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 we're going, we're not just going, all right, We're not going for nothing. We're going for war. We want to take over systems. The message of Christ must prevail. We will preach this message. Preach it with boldness. And God says, ask of me. So it should be a desire you have. Not just to stay in one corner and to be comfortable. And to be singing this little light of mine, little light, I'm going to let it shine. No! You are the light of the world. Our light is not little. Our influence is not small. And what God started with Abraham has reached us today. It's the type of ambition that you must have. That because of, you know, my response to the gospel... The next generation will have it better. That's so important. That's so powerful. So finally, I just want to dwell on this. How does Israel's journey as a nation mirror the church's position today? How does Israel's journey as a nation mirror the church's position today? Two things. Number one, establishment. Number two, consecration. And I'm going to talk, I've spoken a little about establishment. I'm just going to touch on that a little more and then move on. So what do I mean by establishment? Like I said, it all started with one person. Abraham, one family. Just picture yourself as one family in a community where you are the only Christians. And then all of a sudden there's Isaac, there's Jacob and Israel. You know, Jacob and Esau, eventually Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And then through procreation, they began to spread. They began to spread until when they were journeying from Egypt, the number came to three million. Think about that. So the fact that what was one family became a nation... I see the word of God spreading that way. He's about to use you in a powerful way. He can establish you. Christianity may not be popular in your office. He can establish that gospel in that office because of you. 
It may not be popular in your school. It can become popular because of you. Hallelujah. You know, in the school that I attended, um, when they had church programs, people, some people had to be forced. They would literally drive people from the hostels and everything. I knew it didn't have to be so. And by the grace of God, God used us to do things that had never been done in that campus. That we, we all right, as an independent fellowship, will have programs and people will troop in in their numbers to hear the word of God without being coerced. All right? So don't accept anything that is contrary to the wisdom of God as norm wherever you are. You know, some people, listen to me, those of you in diaspora, you know, you have ac accepted these mental models. Oh, things are different here. Don't talk like that. Function with the vision of Abraham. To say something can be done. It was once like that for Abraham. The message of the gospel grew in popularity. And so it can grow in my day too. It can grow in this nation. It can grow in this city. And the numbers of the disciples and of the saints can increase because of my efforts, because of my evangelical ministry. It can. I want to read something to you. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 19. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 19. Oh, this is so powerful. This is what God told them. He says, And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. This is what I mean by establishment. Oh, God can multiply his people. You know, some people are so small-minded, I think I said this two Sundays ago. You think because you have 300 members in your local assembly, oh, you are doing well as a pastor. This is not a business. We're sent to reach all men. Can I tell you something? A church of 1,000 people in a city with 10 million people is a small church. You have to dream bigger. Dream bigger for the gospel. See all men saved. That's God's desire. That's God's design. That's his plan. And so he says, I will multiply them. The numbers are important to God. He wants to see more people saved. He wants to see, stop seeing, you know, us small in number. All right. God told Abraham, see if you can count the stars. You won't be able to count. That's how many your children will be. We must be many. That's the prophecy on our lives. We're going to be so many. We're not going to, going to be outnumbered. You know, some people think uh, iniquity will just keep increasing, will become small. No! Not when you're involved. We, he will multiply us. We will not be few. Oh, we are not few. Hey, we are not few. 
Maybe you are in France and the gospel has not really prevailed there. Start prophesying this. Our numbers are increasing. We are not few. We are not small. We cannot be edged out. Think about it. Jacob and his children went into Egypt because of Joseph. And by the time they were leaving Egypt, there were three million. Three million. Refuse to be few. The gospel must grow and prevail because of you. This is so powerful. And next, I want to talk about consecration. Consecration. Why is this important? Because now, God told them something simple. He said, when I bring you into the land that I will give you, don't follow the ways of the other nations. Don't follow the ways of the other nations. Can I tell you something? This is such an important message in our day. We are in the world, but not of the world. All right? So you must have the fortitude to be able to stand with the word of God, no matter how popular, all right, contrary culture is. Stand with the word of God. Don't be like Israel, you know, beginning to pray and to say, well, other people have a king. We want a king too. It's not about what is fashionable. Stay with the word of God. Can I tell you something? You will step into rooms where it will not be, it will be out of fashion to talk about God. You will step into rooms where they will look at you funny if you decide to pray. Even if you decide to pray on your own, you will look funny. But guess what? It's okay. Can I tell you something? If you don't realize and embrace the fact that it's okay to be the only one standing for the truth, you cannot evangelize the world. If we keep trying to dance to the gal play to the gallery, dance to the tune of the world, we cannot reach a world that we are trying to copy. We cannot disciple a people that we are trying to imitate. Take a stand for Christ. Make sure no one can make you ashamed of that message. Make sure. Refuse to be ashamed. Refuse it. So like I read to you earlier, God told the children of Israel, the nations that are going to surround you when you go to the promised land, you have to realize they have done so many terrible, atrocious things that you must not do. Don't do what they're doing. They had very terrible views on sex. On sex. All right? Just like the prevalent culture today as well. Now, when you talk about um, keeping sex within the confines of marriage, it seems out of fashion. Out of fashion. And you know, you might be in some circles where some people will even laugh at you for being a virgin. Or laugh at you because you don't drink. Laugh at you because you don't dress the way they dress. You don't talk the way they talk. You don't act the way they act. It's okay. 
If you are ashamed, you cannot reach the world for Jesus. Can I tell you something? And on a more practical note, this is why a lot of people cannot evangelize effectively. Let me just tell you this. You know why you find it difficult to evangelize? It's because you have not yet really embraced the Lordship of Christ. And this is what I mean. If you are still embarrassed, you still care too much what people say, you don't understand the message of the gospel. You are not lost in Christ yet. Listen, when... <laughs> oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let me show, let me show you something. Turn your Bibles to the book of Mark. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, When he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the, his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Can I tell you something? The problem with many Christians today is that they are trying to do the beatings of Christ with their flesh still active and alive. You've not taken your cross. You've not nailed, you know, your past, your, your past desires, those carnal desires. You've not nailed it. You're still looking for the gratification in the world. The applause of men. Someone said, the beckon to ministry is the beckon to come and die. Ministry is for dead men. Men who are dead to self. Men who are dead to the opinions of men. Men who are dead to the gratification that the world has to offer. You must die. So maybe the reason why you are afraid to talk about Jesus is because you love yourself too much. And that's something to be worried about. Why can't I talk about Jesus? What's the worst that, the, that will happen? They will call me, oh, born again. They will tag me an extremist. So what? So what? So what? You have to understand consecration and how it positions us to be effective in evangelism. Separate yourself. Stop trying to look like them, talk like them, act like them. Separate yourself. Take a stand. Be unapologetically for Christ. In Christ, for Christ, and with joy. You can't make us ashamed of it. No wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did he say that? Because there will be situations where you will be tempted to be ashamed. You don't want to look, come, look in a particular way, come across in a, a particular way. He said, don't be ashamed. Be unashamed. Refuse the shame. Refuse it. Take a stand. 
you know, I was scrolling through social media and I saw a powerful excerpt from man of God, Pastor Tony Rappel. And he was talking about the Noah generation. I, I mean, just think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Noah lived in a time where only he and his family followed God. In the entire world, only he and his family. And no one else believed. But not, not only did he believe, he demonstrated his faith by building an ark. You have to understand this. Building a boat, all right? And everybody looked at him and mocked. And it still didn't matter. Think about being in a school where you are the only one taking a stand for Jesus. And you don't mind. In an office where you are the only one taking a stand for Jesus. And you don't mind. In a city where you are the only one taking a stand for Jesus. I, and you don't mind. One of the things Noah has taught us is you can be the only one. And it won't matter. It won't matter. All the scorning and all the mockery, bear in mind, in the end, you'll be vindicated. By the time rain begins to fall, everybody will know you were right. Hopefully, they respond to your persuasion, to your preaching, to your beckon, and they come with you into the boat. But if they don't, stand notwithstanding. And as the world tries to make you ashamed for taking your stand, stand notwithstanding. I'm going to end with a very powerful text. Paul's letter to Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. This is a word that we all need. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What did he mean, be ready in season and out of season? He means sometimes the word you need to preach will not be fashionable. Sometimes people will not be interested in hearing what you have to say. But he said, preach the word. In season and out of season. Listen, we are not church people because it's fashionable. Because we're in a country that doesn't really mind. Some people, you know, the way their conviction is, they will run away at the slightest provocation. But it says in season and out of season when people want to listen and when they don't, preach the word still. Consecration. That you can be Israel. The only nation in the world at the time that subscribes to the wisdom and, of the law of the Lord. And it's okay. Take a stand. Take a stand today. So listen, I'm praying for you that you overcome this selfishness, this love for self that has hindered your effectiveness in God. 
that you become so lost in God that you would take a stand in your school, in your office. Hallelujah. So the next time you want to tell someone about Jesus and you find yourself being ashamed, ask yourself, why am I ashamed? Why? Maybe I'm still into myself too much. Do you know what it means to, to, to take a stand for Jesus? I remember a story in the Bible where Jesus went to pray for a lady, you know, a young damsel that was dead. And he went to the burial and everybody was crying and he just said, oh, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Now, naturally speaking, how do you make such a statement at such a sensitive time? The Bible says everybody there who was crying, stopped crying and started laughing. They laughed him to scorn. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where there was a temptation to be embarrassed, to be identified with someone? So imagine standing with Jesus and everybody's laughing at him. Can I tell you something? Metaphorically and almost literally, there will be times where they will laugh at you because of what you believe. And it's okay. Take a stand still. Take a stand for Jesus. Take a stand for his word. Refuse to be ashamed. And as the world is plotting to silence you, remember, he said, I will multiply you. You will not be few. I will glorify you. You will not be small. We will not be small. The influence of the gospel will continue to grow and prevail. He's multiplying us. Can I tell you something? He's multiplying us as a local assembly. Hallelujah. We're raising more disciples in more cities. We're having more siblings in Christ. Our family is expanding. And all this because all of us will take a stand. We will not be ashamed. We refuse to be ashamed. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. <music>